You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God, mind control, the last days, higher dimensions, unity, the power of faith, discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com and www.thefireplacechurch.org and folks, we're going to be making a new move with thefireplacechurch.org and when we have our live streamed services on Sunday nights, we're going to also uh, hopefully begin streaming to Facebook. So I'm really excited about that, and hopefully that will uh, lead to uh, larger participation um, during our live stream events. And so we're, we're really excited about that. We're also really excited, folks, that about an upcoming conference at Pride Ministries. It's going to be a webinar weekend conference. We're calling it Advanced Spiritual Warfare Weekend Conference. And the thing is that last year I did two advanced spiritual warfare courses because we had a discipleship series at Pride Ministries, and one of those four classes is called Spiritual Warfare, and we get into some stuff. But uh, it just was communicated to me that there was huge interest for more stuff. And, and Daniel, we really want to go beyond to, to uh, get into some of this uh, stuff that, that you, you don't talk about in the Spiritual Warfare Discipleship course. And so, so we developed an advanced spiritual warfare training, and then we developed a second advanced spiritual warfare training and only made them available to people that had been through our discipleship programs. And so it was, it was very limited um, uh, marketing. We, we, we just put some walls and boundaries around that. But, you know, with this new year and the leading of the Lord, we're just opening everything up. 
And so we took Advanced Spiritual Warfare 1 and Advanced Spiritual Warfare 2, which were uh, day-long conferences, and put them together for what I'm calling the Advanced Spiritual Warfare Weekend. And, and so anybody that listens to this podcast that wants to enjoy a weekend conference on some deep conversation surrounding spiritual warfare, I invite you to sign up. You know, we're going to get into how to contend with heavenly powers. We're going to get into some of the genetics conversation, uh, reptilian genetics, draconian genetics, really fascinating subjects, yes. Also, getting people great breakthrough, believe it or not. We're going to be talking about a whole horde of spiritual weapons, you know, what those are, how you get those, um, and, and use them according to the word of God. We're going to be talking about timeline redemption, what that ministry looks like and why it exists. Folks, these are all tools that I have used in... Um, my own warfare in, in my own efforts to get people set free and healed. And I'm, I'm really trying to get these tools into your hands. So you're invited to sign up for that. It's really easy. You can just go to our website, bridemovement.com, scroll down. It's on the front page. And there's a button you can just, you know, click and, and, and sign up for that conference. Also, if you are on our email list, you did receive an email about it. And I, I encourage you guys to check it out. I, I would like to see a lot of you there. So that's going to be March 17th through 19th. Look forward to that, folks. Uh, I, I just praise God for all of you. You guys are really, really uh, wonderful. And, and, you know, the truth is Bride Ministries has a lot of vision. We, we don't just have one component of this ministry. It's multifaceted, you know, and I, I do want to uh, make that clear. This is a multifaceted ministry. Do we have a support and outreach for survivors and investment in the healing journeys of survivors? Yes. Is that our only purpose at Bride Ministries? No. Uh, Bride Ministries exist to promote unity in the body of Christ and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. We believe that unity in the body of Christ is going to be established as we all come to the same understanding of God's word that God has. That's that that's a, a relationship-based unity that comes as we all pursue God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and so we, we are pursuing that and we're pursuing a platform, you know, and opening up a platform that will allow other believers that are on a similar journey to connect. And, you, you know, we are also believing for an impact in the area of what we call sheep nations. I, I believe in geographic redemption, folks, and I believe that God is through us invading earth, bringing earth and heaven into alignment. And this is part of his agenda that's never changed. He said, occupy until I come. This is the idea. And so we are, uh, we really have vision for big things, big impact. And uh, so we are equipping, we are training, we run the fireplace church. We do a lot at Bride Ministries, folks. And we We'll, we're believing God that we're going to do a lot more. So I just want to thank you for those of you that so into us, that provide us with the ability to continue what we're doing right now. If it wasn't for you, we would not be continuing in what we're doing. And, and so I want to encourage those of you that listen to this program, that uh, believe in the vision, that have, you know, really gotten something out of what we've put out there, produced, you've seen fruit of your own lives, you know, support us, folks. And, and for those of you that do, thank you so much. It's so easy. You just go to bridemovement.com or thefireplacechurch.org. There are donate buttons there. And, of course, you can write to us at P.O. Box 6173, Texarkana, Texas, 75505. That's our new P.O. Box. Folks, without any further ado, we're going to get into the worship, worship with Paul Tothill. We're going to be talking about it. This is going to be a lot of fun. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall.
guys, we are on with Paul Tothill on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. And I'm really excited because every time I have Paul on the program, we get to preaching and we get to teaching and it's just a lot of fun. I, I really, really like Paul. He is the senior pastor of Gateway Church in Adelaide, Australia. And um, you can check him out at gatewaychurch.org.au. Paul, welcome back to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Thanks, Dan. Great to be with you. Well, it, it's great to have you back, Paul. And, and you know, we, we talked about worship being the centerpiece of what we're going to discuss today. And I know you've been on a series with your body on worship. And I, I'm just going to start here. Why did God entrance you into this conversation at this point with your body? Oh, that's a that's a brilliant brilliant question. There is there is certainly a uh, unfolding of restoring revelation uh, back to the body of Christ to equip it to empower it uh, into the full stature of Christ and to understand God's blueprint for the church. And there's actually a heavenly biblical blueprint for the church uh, for it to achieve not only in Christ likeness and maturity. Uh, in the person of the body of Christ, but also the things that God wants for the church to achieve. And uh, we, we, of course, many, many years ago explored the idea of David's fallen tabernacle, and there's many books written on it uh, and those kinds of things. But for us as a church, it's been a journey uh, of unfolding systematic revelation where, where one stone of revelation is being built on the other. And um, that's, that's probably where we're at. We, we are coming to a point now where we are learning again what is the value of worship to God to bring forward his government and what was it that David, as king of Israel, as a, keist, a priest, king, and prophet, a threefold anointing, able to restore in the context that was illegal under the covenant of Moses. Hmm. All right, you got to unpack that a little bit. So, let's start with the covenant of Moses. How 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 does that play into worship? Okay. So, what what we often think is that the law was introduced to uh, govern a priesthood and for a temple to be built. And so, most of us start our journey in understanding the temple, temple theology, and the idea of worship and sacrifice in and under the law of Moses. Um, but actually, when you start to look at Hebraic thought, you realize that the first temple was in fact in the garden. So that is a game changer. When you then consider that the tabernacle of Moses was in fact a reflection in its design to the cosmos and the garden, with veils and realms and dimensions in the curtains, the roof lining, and its layout and structure, we know that it was on earth as it is in heaven. The blueprint was in heaven, but the manifestation was to be on earth. It was a shadow and type, a representation of something of the heavenly realms. But the first picture we actually see is in the creation account. How so? I'm glad you asked the question. Uh, well, you, you, I mean, you left off, so I was like, well, I guess I got an obvious question here. You're making my job real easy, Paul. 
Yeah. So if you if you look at if you look at Genesis and you look at the creation narrative, and and scholars have argued over this for so many years, but here's a thought: if you if you take the narrative in Scripture on the basis of what it meant at the time in the context of Near Eastern uh, thought, ancient thought. So to Near Eastern ancient thought, and there's quite a bit of scholarship around this, you will see that the idea of the creation account is not unique to simply the scriptures of the Bible. That There's a Mesopotamian account, there's an Egyptian account, and so on and so forth. On each of those accounts, there is this same and similar narrative of the idea of temple and deity. And so the idea of a temple and a deity work very commonly in that grid of thought for that day. And remember the proper exegesis of Scripture, we have to go and understand what would have that narrative meant to the people of the day for whom it was intended. And so if we approach that whole idea, and indeed if we approach the Hebraic idea from that consistency of thought, we see that the idea of God being in a temple is massive. So David uses it this way, that God rules from his throne in heaven, and then there is a footstool. What's the footstool? The footstool, of course, was a shadow on top. It was the temple. In fact, it was the holy place of the temple. So we see very, very importantly that man is created on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day enters God's rest. And this emphasis is described variously in the, the Apocrypha and, and, and other books besides the book of Genesis. But what we know from Near, um, Near Eastern thought, ancient Near Eastern thought, is that the whole idea of uh, a God building a temple is so that he will come into it to govern. And so we see this amazing picture uh, through the prophets that says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. His fullness is so full, it, it, not even the temple can contain him, but the fullness of him comes into the temple, and the fullness comes into the temple, not just to form and complete and bring order to everything, but to govern from the temple. And when you understand that, we go right back into creation. What we, what we ask ourselves is, why, what was the purpose of man in right relationship to God in the garden? It was not only to work the garden, work within the temple and from the temple, because we know from the book of Jubilee that the garden was in the land of Eden. The land of Eden. The garden was a portion, it had a proximity that was meant to be developed and to cover the whole of the land. And so this is the idea of the temple. The temple is God and humanity in right relationship, but he now comes and fills the temple. And then that, that process outworks itself in this way, that on the seventh day, God has caused man to enter his rest, his form, his government, his temple. So the idea of worship in the temple has always been fundamental. The, the very nature of being in the image and likeness of God is to offer him praise and thanksgiving. The garden, in ancient oh. thought, is the temple. The it's garden the first is. temple. Mm. The garden is. So man, is, man is, is, is placed in the garden. He is to work it. He is to tend to it. And this is a priestly function. Aha. 
but he's also to govern from it, which is a kingly function. Now, when you, when you start in that way with that thought, then you start to see how sacrifices are offered, altars are developed, and we, we see the sin of man remove um, humanity from that garden reality. We then see the law introduced back through Moses to build a temple on earth as it is in heaven. But that temple, in the way it is described, it, its features, including its imagery, is very consistent with the imagery of the garden. That's the connection. Then we see under the law of Moses, the temple having three parts, and, and there's a priesthood that is developed to service that temple. We know that there is an outer court, a holy place, and a most holy place. We know where the glory is. David talks about where the footstool is. We know about the holy place and the, the role of the priest. Now, David comes along, and he, he wants to value and restore the presence of God. But he understands the presence of God in a temple joined together. God has to dwell somewhere, and he dwells in a temple. He governs in a temple. That is consistent with ancient thought. Does that make sense? And so then what flows from that is David is given permission by God because of his heart of worship to restore the presence. And so he goes after the presence that Saul did not value. And so what we see set up is a shadow and a type that Jesus himself confronts. Saul as, is as to the Pharisees as Jesus, as David is to Jesus. Saul is as to the Pharisees as David is to Jesus. Hmm. See, Jesus comes and destroys the temple and finishes that priesthood order to create a new temple and a new order. David foreshadows that by restoring the presence back into Jerusalem. On Mount Gibeon, he has the old order with the old priesthood, with the old sacrifices externally, but the Ark of the Covenant is not there. Then on, the, on, on I think it's Mount Zion, we see David has built his tabernacle. It has no outer court. It has no holy place. It only has a tent over the glory, the Ark of the God, where the Ark of the Covenant that is sitting there, and now everyone is able to come and offer sacrifices of praise. But he has to do something that is not permitted under the law of Moses. Now, talk to me about how you are taking this idea and some of these things that you are t you're, you're describing, Eden being a type of temple, the first temple that David built, be, uh, or not that David built, but that he set up so Solomon could build, um, being a reflection of heavenly things and uh, the work that Jesus did, into something practical. How are you uh, teaching through this revelation to take people to another place in worship? Yeah. yeah. Firstly, let me just make a comment. David was the only person permitted to build his tabernacle. When Solomon came to build the temple, it followed the pattern of Moses. 
It didn't follow the pattern of David. Mm. Interesting. Why did God give us a, a snapshot of that which would come? Why could he pull in a future reality and lay it next to a present reality? Because the timing of that would be the fulfillment in Christ. Paul picks this up, and, and Paul's idea of temple theology is central to the idea that the church becomes the dwelling place of God in Ephesians chapter 2, that we rise to become. Peter picks it up and says, he says, we are living stones being built together. We're a royal priesthood. Then we have to understand what temple and what priesthood we're actually engaging in. Who is the temple? Well, we now know because of Jesus the, the shadow and type, the foreshadowing is in King David, but it's now fulfilled in Jesus. In Acts 15, they get together, the apostles get together, and they they have a discussion. And then it's a realization and the revelation is, ah, this is what God's doing. He's restoring David's fallen tabernacle. That changes everything. Because if we approach simply praise as the only feature of the temple or sacrifices of praise more rightly is the only feature of the temple we miss the functional or purposive reality that praise is also governmental when you understand from the very ancient idea that a deity comes into the temple to govern God comes into his temple in fullness to govern He's bringing heaven to earth. Then the paradigm of the gift of the Holy Spirit is to allow the fullness of the presence of God to indwell in the believer, in the heart of the believer, and therefore they each become a living stone of a new temple that when they learn how to worship together, they can govern together. When they learn how to worship together, they can govern together. Correct. That's really powerful. Priesthood of all of believers. Uh-huh. It's a kingly priesthood, but we've got to understand the, the kingly flows out of the priestly. Okay. The presence. The presence was never valued by Saul. So we see we see this resistance to the presence of God without understanding uh, what it's there for and, and, and God's design around it and what it's to accomplish. We God's manifest presence in Jesus Christ is the fullness of God revealed. He becomes perfect revelation. So he can, he can say, everything points to me. I am the revelation of every principle. I am the fullness of the expression of what you previously considered. Because the fullness has come, I no longer work under that which it pointed to. Hebrews is a classic example of this. what this is talking about. So we then have to lay into the conversation what is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Well, he's talking about a new priesthood. He's talking about a new and living way. He's talking about this access that we have permanently into the presence of God, not just for the sake as an individual life, although that's important because we are led by the Holy Spirit, but we realize the grace gift is the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. This is massive, mm -hmm. because now where the Holy Spirit comes in fullness, it must also come with government. <laughs> the 
fullness and government. Why? Because Paul says we are to rule and reign in this life as kings and priests. But my priestly duty is to first service through worship and praise my king. I minister first to Jesus. That's my first ministry. It's the first ministry. And so we know then that the whole idea of David's writing through the Psalms is to unlock this transition into this new priesthood. He had to take the priestly responsibility that was due under Moses to a new responsibility. He retrained the priests and he retrained them with musical instruments, with song, with songs and dancing and expressions of praise and joy. And, and, and the correlation is that when we see this kind of worship being outworked 24-7, because that's if, if, you, if you dive into the book of Revelation, mm. that's what you'll see. Mm. 24-7, holy, right. holy, holy. They are barak. They are bent knee before the king giving him praise. Mm. Everything mm. in heaven starts with praise. Everything in heaven starts with thanksgiving. Everything is it, it, musical. It's celebratory. It's pausing. It's reflective. It has this ebb. It has this flow. But everything is bent down and holy, holy, holy. Worthy, worthy, worthy. That is what is meant to be mirrored on earth as it is in heaven. So the whole idea now of David is he now retrains a priesthood as a shadow and type of that which will be fulfilled in Jesus. Worship's a very big deal. Well, you know, worship is a very big deal. And I, I love the fact that you're bringing in the whole idea of a new priesthood. You know, it, it's so cool to realize that Jesus Christ is high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And of course, Melchizedek means king of righteousness or righteous king and yep. um that brings in well kingly duties right and um because jesus is a high priest of that order that means that in christianity we are actually also of that same order we're part yep. of the order of melchizedek now as believers who have a high priest jesus christ and then you right. see priest and king duties as a function of that priesthood. And, you know, I think the cool thing about the priesthood that we are part of, Paul, is that the whole goal, agenda, the purpose is to truly unite heaven and earth. Yeah. God's looking for the dwelling place. And, and man now, the church, humanity, joined together in love and truth in Christ Jesus. This is, this is so central to Paul's teaching. This is so central to Paul's apostolic Teach you see, we, we, we come on a Sunday, we just think we're singing songs. Mm. Oh, I didn't like that song. I didn't like that song. That was a bit quick and that was a bit slow. And gee, we repeated that song. What are we doing? But the whole idea, Jesus foreshadows what's going to happen to the to the Samaritan woman at the well when he says, hey, I know you worshipped on a mountain. He's using temple language. But there will come a time where you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth there is a shift that jesus is foreshadowing that is not just singing songs it is about how i come with a heart that is rendered 
a heart that is low, a humility, because I want to see the bigness and exalt the name, the goodness and the testimony of my God who cannot be contained in a name. He is so big, so magnificent, so amazing that the only posture that I can adopt is one that goes low in homage. And that is the whole idea of the word Barak. The Hebrew word for Barak, which also means blessing, is the posture of worship. It bent me. Hence, they, the, 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 the elders lay down their crowns. They're, they go low before the king. And when we do this, this is what is exciting. When we do this, when we focus on the king, Paul says we get transformed into the likeness of the one we worship. The one we render our heart to is a transformation personally takes place, but then a governmental realm and a prophetic and relatory realm opens up for us not just to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, not just singing songs. There's a massive spiritual dimension because every time you look at the Bible from Genesis all the way through, God warns us about worshipping false gods, worshipping idols. Where your heart is attracted, where you bend your knee, where you put your affections, where you put your time and your resources is a very big deal spiritually. And if you're giving it to idols mm. and not God, yeah. you can't govern in that area. So, Paul, talk to me about enthroning the Lord upon praise. Oh, that's a beautiful one. See, the scripture says that, 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 that Jesus inhabits the praise, habitually dwells within the praises of his people. And, of course, again, that's just the picture of heaven, isn't it? If we, if we climb into the book of Revelation, that's what we see. We see that there's praise around the throne. We see that there's thanksgiving around the throne. It, we, we see everything. Jesus is the center. He is the king of kings. And what we also see, excitingly, is that Jesus is with the Father. And we know from the prophets that Satan was the worshiping cherub. He was the, the archangel. He, he had a troop of worshipping angels. That, I mean, that's how big a deal the throne and worship are, that, that Satan would move in and out of the fiery stones and offering, made as a musical instrument, to offer praise, to sound, to resonance. And this was going to set the atmosphere around the throne. But he exchanged his wisdom for his splendor became about him, not about God. I heard one minister talk about how Satan wore a breastplate and had nine stones and how yep. those stones would gather in that glory of God in that place of worship. And he suggested uh, the confusion came when all of that which was reflecting off of God became embraced as if he himself were the source point of that glory. Yeah. And then he said, I will be like the most high. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, but the... Well, that, yeah. I mean, that's certainly open. Um, I don't have a view about that, but it, <laughs> that certainly seems to make sense about that. But this is the thing, Paul. 
The thing is, if we spend time in the presence of God, that coming off of God yeah. is coming in and through us. So it, the, the phrase, the metaphoric phrase that, that I use a lot, and it came, comes actually out of the work uh, of a gentleman called Bill, is we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And, and he says in that book, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. For whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security, that is your God. Now think about that then worship, true worship, in spirit and in truth, is a leading to a full rendering of you in faith to Jesus Christ. Hmm. The very work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to you. He is enamored as the primary function of the spirit of truth is to reveal Jesus to you, that you may encounter Jesus. So we see this amazing dynamic being set up in the way we come to worship, the way we bring worship. And here's another point. When David was to restore the Ark of the Covenant back to his tent, to his tabernacle, it was required that he didn't do it in a structure. Remember, he, he put it on a cart, Uzzah reached out, and he was struck down dead. David was lamentable. He couldn't understand. But then God showed him a pattern, and the presence was to be carried by all the priests, clothed in linen, there's a whole discussion around that, but each of them was to carry, they were to shoulder the responsibility, if you will, to carry the presence of God into a place for the purpose for everyone to be able to come into the presence of God and extol Jesus. That's the picture, as a shadow and type. Hmm. To, to come and offer praise 24-7. And so what does Paul say? He says, don't stop praying. Don't stop giving thanks. Everything you do, so there's this thanksgiving culture that gets developed in our heart from what we do in the culture of worship within our communities. The culture rubs off on each other. So we have the Holy Spirit within us that leads us to this. Can I just say, every human worships something. Amen. Paul talks about this in, 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 in the first chapter of Romans. He says what, why, why there's problems. He says because you don't worship the living God. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with all of humanity. Here's the problem with darkness. Here's the problem with oppression, depression, with error. We've forgotten how to worship and give thanks to the true God, the one true God, the Lord our God now revealed in Jesus Christ. That's it. I like to tell people that when our lives become void of worship and praise, we actually divorce ourselves from the culture of heaven. Yep, that's a good word. <laughs> I like that. I borrow that. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, okay. You know, Paul, this is the thing. Yeah, heaven really does have a culture. Heaven actually has a culture. If you, you hang out in heaven... Um, they, they have a culture. They, they they spend a lot of time worshiping God. That's actually like the thing to do. 
You know, it's like Friday night. What are you going to do? <laughs> Worship God. Saturday morning. What are you going to do? Worship God. It, it's just the thing. Um, yeah. And when we live lives on earth that are devoid of worship, it's like we forget where we come from and where our citizenship is maintained. Yeah. And we forget whose image and likeness that we are being transformed into. So remember that you become like the one you worship. If you worship money, that will be the biggest God in your life. And, and Jesus actually talks about this. So he talks about the spirit of mammon, which is not just money. It's the materialism of the world. But it's a spiritual dimension. It's a spiritual God. He says, don't. You, you, you can't worship God and worship mammon. And then he says, listen, I'm not against material things. But the priority is always God first. Because when you put God first, you'll handle the blessing. When you put that other God first called mammon, you will not be able to handle everything because it will consume you and deride you so that you will lose me in the wash. Because mm. that's what idols are designed to do. And then he says there will be worry associated with that pattern. But he commands, do not worry. Why? Because what you are worrying about, you are actually worshipping. What you worry about, you are actually worshipping. Yep. Well, that's loaded with conviction. <laughs> Why don't you spend some time unpacking that, Paul? That, that's, that's, that's really good. Well, it, it actually comes out of, of the whole idea of where am I, where's my heart going, where, where is my attention going, where are my affections going, where is my time going, where is my inner self going, where are the affections of my heart is, is a very big deal. And if I'm constantly contemplating the worry and the concern about the lack of provision, Jesus says, well, listen, don't worry. Command yourself about that. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first my righteousness. An expression of my rightness or my righteousness is my culture of worship because I'm only righteous in his presence. I'm, I'm righteous in his presence. I'm righteous in his presence. So when I behold him, that's who I'm becoming like. As I surrender myself to his image and his likeness, I take on his image and likeness because I'm called to govern from his image and his likeness, not the world's image and likeness. It becomes an issue of the heart and the affections of the heart. And the enemy knows that it, it can fill your thought, fill your, fill your head with lack and fear and all of those things. It becomes a faith destroyer, a worship destroyer, because there's no way hell wants you worshiping in a place before God around the throne because he knows how powerful it is not just to you, not just to revelation and wisdom, not just to provision and release and faith dimensions. He knows how important it is to governmental realms. Now, why, 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 you want me to ask you about governmental realms, because that's why you stopped there. So I'm going to ask you. I'm just talking about I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, man, you just, like, just pause. Like, wait a minute. All right, I'm going to bait him. Dan Duvall, please ask me this question. Go for it, brother. What, what's the, what, talk, talk to me about governmental realms getting affected by our worship. I'm, I'm not actually trying to be that clever, but since you ask. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one, 
when we look at the study of what was going on in Jerusalem, when David, as a shadow and part, was, was foreshadowing what would come over a city, we do see, of course, that um, then when they worshipped 24-7, the atmosphere of praise was not only naturally in the atmosphere, there was a sound that was naturally being heard, there was a spiritual dimension being unlocked through that sound, and it said it had peace. See, there is a government of peace that is released through a worshipping community, and that peace first occupies our own heart. Because in the New Testament, we are now the temple together and the whole dwelling place is within our heart. We're joined together through relationship, not just structure. That's a really important point. We are joined together through relationship, our koinonia or kononia, however you want to pronounce that. And that joins us together. We are joined together in Christ in the heavenly realms and we are joined together in Christ through the expression of loving God first, then supernaturally loving one another, glued together to offer him sacrifices of praise. Not only that he will come in and ride on our praise in an emotional or a relative sense, but in a governmental sense. You actually bring forward the government in heaven because it's on earth as it is in heaven, and you bring forward the government of his peace because wherever the king is his kingdom is hence paul could say you as the temple now the kingdom is not about the laws and the rules that was under moses now what it's about is righteousness or rightness in right relationship with god peace the governmental realm of reconciliation and joy in the holy spirit there is a tangible reality and progression of how things shift and transform in us. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, you're transformed from glory to glory. Why? Because the veil has been removed of a fading glory to bring you into face-in-face encounters through a posture of your heart in worshiping the King Jesus, the Holy Spirit moving from you and to you, from you and to you, in that process of praise that brings you revelation of truth and enthrones Jesus in your heart. Once Jesus is enthroned in my heart and I'm being transformed by the moral imperative of every prophetic word in Scripture into his likeness, back to my true image, then I have the right heart, the right posture, the right ability to rule and reign on earth as an ambassador of heaven. I am a king under the king who dwells within me. So worship is actually a key component of how God renews a right heart within us. 100%. My gosh. Yep. Now, how have you seen God move in your heart in moments of worship? Well, I mean, personally, I've had uh, profound, profound encounters. In fact, most of my encounters have been through either private worship or corporate worship. Um, that is an atmosphere that becomes charged when everyone brings their part. Um, that's the important bit. The little that I bring, I bring. Um, and, and we are learning how to do this as a culture in our church, but I've seen it established in other churches brilliantly. Um, and and not with any envy, but with an admiration of, wow, 
because we see what goes on in that atmosphere. And it's not for the sake of an encounter because everything I do, whether it's by preaching the word, prophesying, moving in signs, wonders and miracles or worship, I want people to encounter Jesus. I want to encounter Jesus because I want to know him. I want to know him so I can be like him. And so many times I've had absolute encounters, but in the encounter, it carries a transforming moral imperative to make me more like Christ. I don't have an encounter because I want an encounter. You know what I'm saying? When we're, when we're young, we love to splash at the shallow end of the pool. We like the excitement of the splashing around. Mm. But there are times, and it's good. It's good while we're young. That's fun. Yeah. I, I don't want to take the fun out of it. But that's not the agenda. That is not the whole sum game. It is part of a development to I learn how to get fully immersed in Christ through my worship. I want to be fully immersed in him so that I'm completely lost in the in the reality of my trust and my faith in him. Let me tell you something, Paul. I, I love worship. Um, I find personally that worship is a place where I connect with life. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And and the thing is that it's easy to move into that place of death without an input. And worship is such a supremely necessary input. And and I find also that I uh, I've experienced a lot of visions actually in that place, particularly with corporate worship. Although you know, worship on my own will yield that as well, where it it's an opportunity for God to connect me with identity and with yep. perspective. You yep. know, I, I, I came away from a number of very difficult circumstances in my life with the conclusion that you can actually worship God through anything. And oftentimes the power of your worship is amplified by worshiping in the midst of struggles and difficulties. And I think that's illustrated when you see Paul uh, worshiping Along with was it was it Silas uh, in in the prison? Yeah. And all the prison doors open, where where deliverance through worship was authored not just for them but for everyone at the same time. Yep. And yep. it's like whoa, you know what does worship in a place of difficulty and turmoil produce in the spirit realm? This is powerful stuff. It's your breakthrough, and 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 I I often encourage people to understand that you you've got to learn how to worship God when you are being blessed. You've got to learn how to worship God when it's going well, and when it's going really bad, because He is the same through it all, and what He is teaching you. When you're in the blessing or when you're in that adverse situation and he's refining you and defining you, he is for you no matter what. And, and, and what you focus on, what you bring your heart affections to, where your faith sits is crucial because so many people live out of a blessing lack mentality when, when, when God's blessing me. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, Jesus. But when he's not, where are you, Jesus? Well, he's there. And, and my role as a king and a priest doesn't change because of my circumstances. Oh, oh, please say that one more time. My role 
as a king and a priest does not change because of my circumstances. It doesn't change because I'm having a bad day. It doesn't even change if the music is not quite right. It doesn't even change if I'm being blessed. You know, Paul, this is what I watch. I, I see people, things start to go good. Oh, who is God? I don't know about all that. I'm good, right? Th things go bad. They go into beg mode. Oh, I'm a no good, low down, worthless sinner. Saved by grace. Save me, God. Save me, God. Save me, God. Help me. A consistency in our worship once we build it into lifestyle. In seasons yeah. of everything goes right and in seasons of everything goes wrong, grounds us out, I believe, Paul, with a foundation that well, it's difficult to shake. Absolutely. And I think I think Paul alludes to that. Uh, whether I have much or I have little, you know what? God's God. And I worship him. I know who I am in him. I don't define myself by external things. I define myself by the one I worship. It's extraordinary. Mm. Yet it's the thing that um, is so prevalent in ancient thought that's been lost in modern thought. And then we have to teach people how to be a priesthood to build the culture of worship. And what I do in the private place shapes what I release in the public place. And if I'm not a worshiper at home, if I'm not uh, adopting that posture as, as a culture, it's going to be very hard for me to enter into that culture when I come on a Sunday. And so what, what happens is we see a separation between the music team, as an example, and, and the congregation. And we forget that the congregation is as much the worshippers under David's fallen tabernacle model as the musicians. The musicians offer a priestly service as much as the sounds of praise offer a priestly service. Even a dancing, a twirling, a clapping hands being raised, and, and we look at the charismatic church, we go, oh, it's all just a happy clappy. But actually, when you look at the Hebrew meaning of the seven Hebrew mean, the words for, for what it is to pray, it means all of those things. So we, we, we are not being abiblical, we are being biblical uh, <laughs> in the understanding of the, of, the, of the words that are used to describe praise, which David talks about through the Psalms, and the Psalms become a blueprint. Look at the way David worshipped. I mean, there are times where he is not having a good day. It is not going well for the king. And he comes into a culture of worship. Why? Because he always valued a culture of worship from a little boy. What made him a man after God's heart was not that he was a warrior. It was that he was a worshipper before he was anything else. And the way he worshipped God in the private place gave him the warrior ability to confront opposition in the public place. It produced a culture of anointing. It produced a culture of revelation. He knew that the God that was with him, with the lion and the bear, the, a picture of the internal struggles of his life, the struggles and the wrestles of his private life, would be with him in his ministry life. And he foreshadows his kingship through the greatest victory he ever has. Yet at the same time, when he is rejected at Ziglag, I mean, you know you're having a bad day, Daniel, when even the opponent doesn't want you to fight with them. <laughs> and he's an amazing warrior. I mean, he is absolutely rejected. He's being rejected by Israel. 
He's been rejected by the Philistines. I mean, talk about a complex of rejection. And there he is. And here, what does he do? He strengthens him. And his men run out on him. His men blame him. It's, it's unraveling at a, at a fast rate of knots. But God is setting him up for a kingship and a booty and a reward. If he'd gone to war, he would have killed Saul. He would have killed Saul. Not in God's plan. So in his rejection, he strengthens himself in the Lord. What did he revert to? The thing he knew, the culture that was in his heart that made him a man after God's own heart. Mm. He worshipped. He praised God. Now, now, let's talk about priesthood, right? Because, okay, so, so we're this priesthood in Christ. And so it's our job to enthrone God upon our praises. Why is it, Paul, that sometimes when you go into corporate worship settings, it's so dry, while with other corporate worship settings, it's full of the presence of God? Now, you know, how do, how do you explain that? Oh, wow, that's, that's a massive question that has lots and lots of nuances that uh, are unique for all sorts of reasons. But generally speaking, um, if, if we don't understand what worship is about and we don't understand what it is we're actually doing, it's not been explained to people, what will happen first and foremost is that they will not understand that, work, that they've been anointed they carry a grace and anointing and the activation of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to offer praise. So every person intuitively is designed within their spirit man, within their humanity, to offer praise to God. Paul tells us that uh, in the book of Romans. What happens is, if we don't understand what worship is meant to represent, we get some very unusual ideas. So there's, first of all, the we've confronted this. Um, a blessed lady came in and said, you've got drums and electric guitars. Oh, no, God wouldn't like that. Interesting conversation. Right. Not true doctrine. Uh, and I, I, with the greatest respect, I just said, well, if I've got two hours, I can take you through the scriptures that actually support this and the very priesthood uh, that David had. I mean, he might not have had a martial ant, but he certainly had stringed instruments. So uh, there were certain clashings of the symbols. There were high praises. There were different kinds of praises. And then there was a sealer, a reflective time for contemplation, but there's clearly musical instruments. So often we don't understand our role in worship either. So we think that worship is an entertainment event as a warm-up for the word. So we think our job is to listen to the songs that the music team present and marvel at how wonderful they are. Well, that will only get you so... They, they may well be anointed, and they normally are, gifted as they normally are, but it's actually not about them. It's about who they're revealing through their giftedness to cause us to worship. And so the, the dryness, if you will, comes because our heart is not yielded to the very process and design of God that is central for us being transformed. So the spirit within us becomes locked up. We get the impression it is dry. And the other error that I often see and we've had to navigate is you'll get people that want the presence but are very critical about the process. Now, the spirit of criticism does not belong to the Holy Spirit. 
belongs to the soul and of the world. And so what we have to understand is the very thing we long for, we are instrumental in bringing. So if you, are, if, if you have a group of people that are longing for the presence, their job is not to then point the blame at the worship team or the leader or whoever else. Their job is to use their anointing to bring their heart and yield it low before God to attract to attract the release of that atmosphere that causes a breakthrough for others. So that's why you can have key ministers, key worship leaders, or key gifts in the body of Christ that carry this anointing that when they minister, something shifts. The design of that shift is not that they will be the hero or they will be the focus. The design of that is to bring a priesthood of all believers into that culture, into that anointing that will unlock them to become priests and minister unto Jesus. So it actually takes a cooperative uh, effort of the people in the church service or group or gathering in order for that to not be dry and stale worship. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to have to break through because there's all kinds of spiritual resistance. There's all kinds of soulish resistance. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, that probably a lot of people are more free at a football game than they are in a church environment. And we have ideas, we've developed religious ideas about what worship should and shouldn't look like. Um, and, and, and I'm not here to critique that. And, and the other error that we make is that we try and drive people into the present. You can do neither of those things. What you have to do is love people, reveal Christ in you to people, to bring them into an atmosphere. You know, um, there's a passage in the Bible that says the Father is now seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth uh, because God is spirit. And, you know, I I have just, uh, I see this in continually unfolding depths, Paul. But the reality is, God designed us to connect with him spirit to spirit. And if we think that we're going to connect to God through our soul and make it an intellectual process or even an emotional process without it also being a spiritual function of identity, connectivity with the Holy Spirit, um, it's not going to go but so far. Yeah. It's going to stalemate. Again, I, I think we are, as we get an understanding more and more, and I, I certainly don't have a perfect understanding, I can confess that right now, but as we get a growing understanding and we're able to build a growing culture, we can look at what David was trying to give us a, um, a picture of, fulfilled in Christ, of course, but we can see then that there was a a culture of worship that was built within the whole of Jerusalem. Hmm. There was a culture of praise. There was a culture of thanksgiving. In other words, it became so automatic, so connected, that their hearts were joined spirit to spirit, life to life, habitually with Jesus. And so often we talk about in the secret place or the, the hidden place, 
Well, the hidden place and the secret place are always associated with a posture of homage, praise, worship, and going low. It is always seeing God who he really is that you may see who you really are. It's always seeing how big God is that he is bigger than any other issue in your life. You know, he is the same. He wants to be the fullness to you. And so even in worship, even in that place, you can confess like Paul says, hey, I am broken. I am struggling. I am. This is a sacrifice of praise. God values it highly. And in my brokenness, he becomes my fulfillment. He becomes my fullness. Whatever I need, he is my supplier in that process. So we see this amazing thing start to take place. In any meeting where we are genuinely wholeheartedly going low and and seeking to give homage, to give proper praise and glory, to behold the one who beholds us, what starts to happen is as we minister him, the whole, and through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now starts to minister to us. As we minister to him, the high priest, through the Holy Spirit, starts to minister to us. And we start getting transformed. Issues of the heart are laid bare. Truth, the truth of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all things, comes into our heart. There's a, there's a resonance that starts to happen. And we start to get liberated because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's no bondage. I start getting a breakthrough by being vulnerable mm-hmm. with God in worship, mm-hmm. offering the sacrifice of praise. And David did it often. David commanded his soul to praise the Lord. I don't feel like it. I've had the worst week. This is not going well for me, but I'm going to do what I know I'm designed to do. He commands his soul to give praise to God, and then the breakthrough comes. And watch and read the Psalms. There is a progression in his Psalms. There is a progression, and then that progression is revelatory. And David is able to access by that grace future things and call them into being. He starts to prophesy. He starts to release a revelatory realm out of that place. And he started where I don't feel like doing this. And God just blesses him, teaches him, instructs him, develops him, empowers him, and releases him. You said he released a revelatory realm. Now, this is one of the things that I find interesting, just from an experiential standpoint, Paul. That you can actually worship God in a place of confusion or pain. And as you are worshiping him in that place, the Holy Spirit will actually begin to minister answers and strategies without you even specifically asking for them. Without me even specifically asking for them. I've, I've found that just taking time to worship God, it, it really helps put things in perspective. It helps me to get a grip on what God's perspective actually is because it's so easy to not have that one, <laughs> to have some other kind of one. Yeah. That it, yeah. it's, you know, and it, it is revelation to us. It is a revelatory realm. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. And David, the Psalms indicate this access um, and, and, and this Christ-centered revelatory access. I mean, all revelation is Christ-centered. But so so many people 
um, want, want God's wisdom, but they won't come to him. And the way we come to him uh, is through is through the design of worship and praise. We give him honor, we give him glory, we give him thanks, and, and we come understanding we don't know it all. We're not, we haven't arrived, uh, but we're coming just to yield our heart. And, and so what happens is that the worship actually brings us into the spiritual dimension. It takes us from a soulish dimension and brings us into a spiritual dimension. And it's there that the Holy Spirit is able to re reveal the truth of Christ to us. Hence, we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. The truth is revealed through the King. And it's the great desire, I think I said earlier in the program, it's the great ambition, desire, love, for the Holy Spirit, God, Holy Spirit, to reveal Jesus to us. Because around the throne is the wisdom of God, not just the splendor of God. It's the wisdom of God. And that's where Satan was. He had the wisdom of God. He was in the presence of God. And that's where God speaks, is in his presence. Amen. Face to face. We become face to face encounters through the Holy Spirit, through a culture of worship and praise and thanksgiving in our heart. That's how we work and walk full of the Spirit. Amen. So, um, how do, um, how does a person say, oh, I, I like to try to worship God, but you know, I put on some worship. It's dry. I, I don't really feel the presence of God even when I try to sing. And, you know, what, what you guys are talking about sounds not like my experience. How, how does the person that's in that place, Paul, get out and into a place of, 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 of higher connection with God during a, an event of worship where, where it's like, oh, that's what you guys are talking about. How, how, how do we get out of that pit and into that other place? I, I don't think there's a dogmatic uh, answer, but I can offer some thoughts. Um, where, where I learned the most was the Psalms. I actually read two books of Scripture that really helped me understand how, this, how the dimensions of flow and the in and out work on this this relationship that I have with God in Jesus Christ. And, and, the, and the first book you read is the Song of Songs. You, you, there's this idea of this pursuit, this love pursuit that's going on. And and um, it, 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 it is so deep. It is so amazing. And there's times where God will hide from you. And, and so often we've learned that when God's hiding from me, He's angry with me. I've done something wrong. I'm not good enough. And all of the soul comes up. Wrong teaching comes into my head and I shrink back. God's not going to want me. I need to go and sort myself out. Well, that's not what he's doing. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what he's doing. He's actually wooing you and drawing you. And so where I would have an encounter with God at one level, I might go back into a place of worship and praise the next week, expecting the same outcome, nothing, nada, no experience, dry. What the heck? I was with you last week. What's going on? And, you know, and so slowly I, I started to read the Song of Solomon and I realized it was this pursuit. There's this hiddenness. There's he, he hides for me, not from me. 
He, he wants to see what's in my heart towards him. He wants to see what we've developed at one level can be developed to another level. And so I pursue, I push in, I, I've tasted and I've seen that he's good. I take that experience and go, I want more. You know, when we say we are hungry and thirsty for God, it's not because we're in lack. It's because we've tasted and we've seen, we've experienced the little, there's got to be more. And so what it does is there's a, it, it's not a striving, it's a, it's, it's a yearning. I think it's a better way to put it. And then I read the Psalms and I see what David wrestles with. And he's wrestling with spiritual forces. He's, he's wrestling with all these things as he's the king of Israel. But his heart is always saying, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? Oh, sounds familiar to something that Jesus said. There's something that's going on with him as he renders himself and pursues. And he, he says, I've got to have you. I've got to be in your presence. It's better in your presence than anywhere else because in your presence, life makes sense. So he, he just plays and plays until something gives. And so what we're used to, what we're used to in the modern world is not what the ancients knew. We are used to a three-minute response from God to our inquiry or our pursuit. And I've got to say, I, it's almost been the time after an hour that you think, well, I've missed it today, that the suddenly the little whisper, the little breakthrough will come and then there'll be a flurry. It's, it does, it, you know what I find stunning? It's often after the, the bulk of the worship team, the worshipers in a church service or a conference and left, that God moves the most powerful. Hmm. See, there is something valuable to God in this that we have to value, and it's not instant. And, and this pursuit and this idea of being in the presence, although freely given, is so valuable, it requires something from us to pursue it. I don't know if that's a proper answer for everyone, but um, I know this. God is faithful. If you pursue him, if you go after him, if, if you search for him, he promises that he'll respond. Amen. It may take a little bit longer than three minutes or five minutes or even 20 minutes or even 30 minutes. It may come after days, but I know it will come. And when it comes, this is what I think always. The longer the delay, the richer the outcome. That's that's a beautiful answer, Paul. Very encouraging. The, the reality is that some people really do struggle in this area. I've heard the stories. Like, well, Daniel, I tried worshiping, but it wasn't. It just wasn't. I I I don't identify with what I hear coming out of Paul's mouth. You know, and so it's. It, 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 it really is a question that I think is really important to be spoken to. Uh, your answer is absolutely encouraging. What that says is that there's hope. Even if a person has found himself in that place where, look, maybe worship that you tried to engage in wasn't that great. Um, keep pressing in. God is requiring something of you. It Give may it sound it. shocking to people, Daniel, mm. but I believe that God is pursuing us more than we pursue him. He, through the Holy Spirit, is pursuing us that we would pursue him. He is pursuing us for us to come and spend time in his presence. He's pursuing us 
to come, come worship me and see what I can do in your life. Come and get the right order. Get things back into order and watch the calamity lift off your life. Watch the peace of my government rest upon your life. Watch the favor that I put upon you go before you. Watch how I surround you. Will it make it all smooth on the outside? No, but you'll have a graced hand of life on the inside that looks so different, so empowering than what you've ever, ever experienced trying to do it without his presence and without being a worshiper. See that? No, that's beautiful. Paul, how does a person, what are some of the identifying markers that will help a person to know that God is actually pursuing them like you suggest? I mean, just get, let's talk to people. They're saying, hey, Paul, you said that God's pursuing me, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. There's no way God's pursuing me in this mess. What are some markers? Maybe some miles. Like, well, but did, you know. Mess is not new for God or for the people uh, of the narrative of Scripture. So mess, mess is what happens in the world. Uh, mess is part of the real reality that we live in as believers. So let me firstly say God's not afraid of your mess, and nor should you be. Uh, the second thing is that in the worst situation, Scripture tells me that God has set a table of provision for me in the midst of my worst day, in the midst of my enemy. He is ushering me to come to a table of fellowship, intimacy, and provision. I just got to go to the Word as my guide. That's my first truth. Because everything the Holy Spirit do, does will lead me through the Word. The Word and the Spirit work together. Jesus as I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So I want to go to God's word if I don't yet have the experience. I want to go to a place of faith. And faith comes by the hearing of the word. And there's a present word that the Holy Spirit will remind you of. And, and if you will pray, if you will search for God, it doesn't take too long. If you are tuning in, and this is the point. What really happens is when we're going through adversity, when we're going through trouble, trouble becomes bigger. And that's why Jesus said, do not worry, because that now becomes the idol or the thing that we're giving our affection and our heart to. And Scripture clearly says that when I turn from that and face him, that's the key. I've got to bring my heart to a new vision. I've got to turn and face him. Him and the Holy Spirit will empower me to do that. It'll be a wrestle in your soul, but the Holy Spirit will empower you to shift your focus, shift your gaze. Start with the Word. Get the Word in you and get your intellect moving in a conscious understanding of what the Word is speaking to you, and the Holy Spirit will breathe on that. Your What will happen is you'll become reorientated around the Word, which is Christ, You'll be reorientated to him. You'll get on a journey. The Holy Spirit will move on that. And as you yield to that truth, here's the key. There'll be a wrestle because your soul will want to yield to the pain, the disappointment, and the hurt. But your spirit will enliven the truth, and you're going to have to command yourself. So Paul says, I hold every thought captivated to Jesus, who is the truth, who is the word. I've got to do something in this cooperation to get myself out of the, the, the entanglement of what is trying to bombard me and what is trying to take me out. 
Why? Because I'm not going to give worship to it. That's what it wants. It wants your affection. It wants your time. It wants your energy. It's a distraction. And so when I recognize that, I come back to a place of saying, this is not good order for my life. I'm going to bring my life into order because I'm that powerful in Christ. Now, I'm going to start with the word. I'm going to start with, the, with, with, with my intellect, and then I'm going to move through a process of each dimension of who I am. I'm going to feed myself until my spirit man takes charge, and now I shift my gaze. Now I'm in a place where I can worship, and I can break those things off my life. I hope that makes sense. I'm telling you, man, you are preaching tonight, brother. (laughs) (laughs) That's how Uh, I do it. There's probably a million ways, but um, that's how I do it. And I know there's a wrestle. Scripture tells me there's going to be a wrestle for this. I want to encourage those that are listening to this program. You know, I've had a lot of really cool experiences with worship. And one of the things that... I have, have, have just taken note of is that I can check out during worship and I will get very little out of it. I, I can focus on the performance on stage and judge it and criticize it and get very little out of the worship. I can look at the people around me and get all oh, it worked up like well that person kind of has their hands up and that person has their hands all the way up and now that's kind of weird that person well I like the way that person's worshiping because their hands are down like mine you know and that oh wait there's a guy with and I can get distracted and get nothing out of it or or I can just settle in my heart that I will encounter God and make a decision and press into that within myself and and that's when things really begin to open up for me i've so I've, I've i've tracked that also i want to encourage people you know when i take personal time with god like particularly on sundays i do this i i don't just set aside 30 minutes i'll set aside two to three hours of alone time with god and if god doesn't start speaking to me for an hour and a half that's actually okay. I'll worship God for an hour and a half before his voice starts speaking to me. I've already set aside three hours. I'm okay with the hour and a half going by where I didn't actually hear anything from God or get any answers or get, you know, because it's building relationship. I, it, It's not a problem if God doesn't speak to me within 15 minutes or within five seconds per se. And um, I just want to encourage people like, you know, it's just like any other relationship in your life. Worship is a way we connect to the culture of heaven and to the king to minister to him. Like Paul said, so don't make your ministry a five minute obligation. Make it a several hour long, uh, adventure journey, um, date pursuit. Uh, pursuit. Uh, all of these things. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for that. Um, Okay. What else do you want to tell me about worship, Paul? Wow. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I, I think it's like everything else, Daniel. Um, once you start to get a revelation for this in your heart, then you start to build a culture of it around your heart. There's no point having a revelation and then not building life decisions around it. And so 
there's often change that has to come. There's a change of thinking brings a change of desire, brings a change of behaviour. Um, and but we have to build it. We have to be intentional about it because the, there are forces in the world and good-meaning people that will want to distract you from this pursuit. And and it's a first pursuit. This is really really important. The the first pursuit on day seven was to come into the temple, to come into the fullness of God, to be able to actually bring His government into your life and. And that's what Jesus says, of course, in Matthew. He says, seek first my rightness, my righteousness. Um, and that's really important. It, it's a first place because everything in the kingdom is about alignment or order. Sin is about disorder. The world is in disorder. The kingdom is always one of order. It's one of flow. It's one of first things first. So you have to establish a culture of first things first. And what starts to happen is you get a heart that's after God's heart. That's, that's what David had. He, 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 and when you have a heart after David's heart, you start to walk like Jesus did because Jesus had a heart after God's heart. He, and nobody knew the Father like uh, the Son, and, 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 no, and the Son was only known so well by the Father. And so what happens is we, be, we start to grow up because we become almost intuitive in the relationship because we start to know Him. If worship is simply a ministry outside of relationship, then we miss the very imperative of knowing God. Jesus clearly said in John 17, I've finished my work. He hadn't even gone to the cross. I've made you known. Nobody knows him like I do, and now I've made him known. Our job is to make him known, not make us known. It's not about the power of my ministry. It's not even about what kind of blessing I get. It's about being with him because I'm his child, because I'm family with him. Uh, it does have a governmental element, but it first has a relational element. And so I want to know God so that I can not only experience God, so that I can show God, that I can become like who I'm meant to be become. Like I said earlier in the program, it's very, very important to understand that the first thing that God did was make us in his image and likeness, like him, not as him, like him, so that we can do the things that he would do and carry his government with the heart that he would carry it. So Jesus models this. He brings us back into the new and living way of the Father. Well, I don't think we should be short on what Jesus has paid a price for. He's paid a price for us to come back, to be restored back to the heart of the Father, to be restored back to the heart of worship, to carry from that place proper order, true image, true likeness, a boldness and a courage to be warriors that will bring forward the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, spirit to spirit, life to life, through faith realities in an adverse environment. And we, we will always have an adverse environment. I can't get my read off of what is going on in the world. I get my read of what is going on with the living word that is dwelling within me. I need to build a culture that develops that sensitivity, build a culture that allows me to live in that place of intimacy and empowerment. And culture, culturally, worship is what I'm actually designed for. So we've got to come back to that. 
we can't come into the right order of things without coming back into God's order and God's blueprint. And that is the heart of David's fallen tabernacle. And so many people write and tell me, no, it's all about a government. Well, it's a government based on a supernatural dimension of praise. Why is praise so important? Because God tells don't worship other idols. It's powerful and it will affect you adversely. Worship me and it will affect you in a way that will propel you into all that I've called you to become and do. And that's what I see by the restoration of David's tabernacle at its very foundational level. Amen. Wow. Well, folks, this is why I love Paul. Paul is what you call a man of God. And, uh, man, he can preach. <laughs> Paul, I, I just want to say thank you. Um for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hang out with me and to talk to us about worship. Um, I want to remind every person that's listening. He has a website, gatewaychurch.org.au, and you can find all kinds of archived sermons and other tools that you can enjoy at his website. So be sure to check that out. Paul, Thank you for so much for your time again. And folks, until next time, you've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. God bless and Godspeed. Thanks, Daniel. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us, access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.